We're coming to the end of our sermon series called The Storyteller. <laughs> so this is uh, second to last week. This week we'll finish talking about heaven and the restoration of all things, new heavens and the new earth. Next week we'll talk about the vision of Restoration Road. So if you are able to be here at all, please be here as we talk about the vision of Restoration Road and what we believe God is going to accomplish through us by His grace for the glory of His name and for our joy. So next week we're going to talk through the vision. Um, we're also going to be starting a sermon series through the book of Proverbs called Navigating Life Well. We'll talk about all issues, the heart, money, um, on and on, friendship, family, how to navigate life well according to the gospel and in response to the gospel. So it's going to be a beautiful time as we grow as a church, grow as disciples of Jesus. Um, I'm really excited about that. We're going to have a standalone sermon in, in the middle. Right after we preach on the vision, call, um, the topic is going to be why we believe the Bible. I think this is very important in today's culture <clears throat> that we understand that the Bible is authoritative, inspired, inerrant, and everything we need to know for salvation, for the mission of God, and to know God. And so we're going to preach on that because I think many people have questions about that. And we want to know why we base our lives on the Word of God, why we base every message we preach on the Word, word of God why we put our hope in this Savior, which the whole Bible tells about. The whole Bible is really just a, about Jesus and how awesome he is. And so we're going to talk about heaven today. <laughs> and it's important to understand that in Hebrew story, it goes beginning, middle, beginning. We're used to being influenced by Greek culture. So when we read books, when we watch most movies, it's beginning middle, and end. We're always looking for that end <coughs> to finalize a story. But what is really happening in the Bible, what is really going to happen in redemptive, in the redemptive story is God's going to make all things new. He's going to make them just like they were in the beginning, yet far superior. So his original intention was to create man in his image to be in perfect relationship with him. Men would worship him. They would enjoy being his children. Everything was good when he first created it. But as we spoke of in this sermon series, man fell. Man rejected God. Man wanted to be like God. He became separated from God. But in Genesis 3.15, we hear the first gospel. It says, I will send one who will restore all things. And I'm paraphrasing here. And that was Jesus who would live the perfect life, die the perfect death, and rise perfectly for our salvation, for our justification, for our reconciliation with God. God's plan has always been to restore things back to their original state, where sin will be dealt with, where there'll be no wall or separation between us and God, where we can worship freely, where the curse is lifted, and where God is the center of everything and he's glorified for who he is. So what we're really talking about today with the new heavens and new earth is God making all things new, yet they're far superior because evil is destroyed forever. Now, heaven wouldn't be good if God wasn't there. For instance, why do you love your home? Do you love your home because of the wooden framing in it? Do you love your home because of the sheetrock? Do you love it because of the backyard? Yes, those are nice touches on your home. Have good framing in your house. Have a nice backyard. There's no problem with that. But that's not the primary reason why you love your home. We love our homes because the people who are in 
our homes, because of the people that we love. When I go home, I don't say, man, I can't wait to get home and see my walls. I can't wait to get home and see that table. I walk through that door, and it's like we won the Stanley Cup every time I walk through that door. My oldest daughter runs full sprint, (coughs) does some sort of dance move in the air. I catch her, and I turn her around like this every time. It's just a ritual. She laughs. I kiss her, say I love her. I put her down. Then Kira's waiting like she's a sprinter over in the corner, runs full speed, jumps up, does sort of gymnastic move on my neck, flips me over and says, do the papa clock. The papa clock is grabbing her by her ankles, just like a grandfather clock, and going like this. And she just flies through the air. And she says, do it ten more times. I say, I got five in me. Then you think, wow, that's a lot. That's a great home. Then I get to kiss the most beautiful woman in the world. Brownie points, getting them when I get home. But that's why we love our homes. (laughs) That's why we will love heaven. The greatest thing about heaven is that God is there. God is the heart and soul of heaven. There's a deep longing that's in every one of us because we're created in the image of God to be reconciled with God, to worship Him, to enjoy Him, to make much of Him, to be satisfied in Him. In heaven, you will enjoy God more than you ever have enjoyed God because you will see Him visibly. And He will be our God. We will be His children eternally. And it gets even better than that. And we'll go on more. But let's dive in. I want you to be encouraged today on the future of heaven. More, Learn more about it and believe the gospel because we would not be able to look forward to heaven if it wasn't for the gospel. Amen? So let's, Revelation 21. I'm going to start in verse 1 and 2. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. <laughs> so Paul is seeing this prophetic vision. The Holy Spirit is revealing to him the future, what the new heaven and the new earth would be like. He's seeing this so he can share it with us so we can have hope. The first question we ask ourselves, did this mean that God's going to do a total swap out? Right? Does this mean that the old, the earth we're on now, and the heavens we're in, that he's just going to throw those out in the dumpster, right? He's going to take them, man, this didn't work. Beep. Heaven's gone. I want you guys to understand, and what I believe Scripture teaches, is that he's actually going to restore all things. That he's not going to annihilate everything and start over absolutely brand new, but he's going to both bring judgment and there's a destroying that we'll talk about because the scriptures talk about destroying with judgment. But he's actually going to restore all things because if he had to wipe everything totally out, if he just took God in his big hands, and I'm talking in metaphor here, took the earth, said this didn't work, beep, Satan would have won. If he had to do that and throw it away, sin would have won. God is victorious, Christ is victorious, and his purposes will happen. And at the end of this Text, it says, write that down. You can take it to the bank. So I want to read you a quote from Anthony Hokima. If anyone's studying eschatology, I would encourage you to read this man because he has some of the most informative stuff and some of the most Bible-based stuff, um, just helpful stuff on the future things that I've ever read. But here's a, a quote from him. In his redemptive activity, 
God does not destroy the works of his hand, but cleanses them from sin and perfects them so that they may finally reach the goal for which he created them. Applied to the problem at hand, this principle means that the new earth to which we look forward will not be totally different from the present one, but will be a renewal and a glorification of the earth on which we now live. A lot of what I'm talking about today has been informed by Randy Alcorn's book, which, once again, I've got to finish that, but it's one of the best books I've read on heaven, but I've done about half of it. The judgment that God will be, so God will bring, what we're really looking at, because we've talked about creation, we talked about the fall, we talked about covenant, we talked about the promised Messiah, we talked about idolatry, we talked about that we have an enemy who is Satan, we talked about Jesus coming, his life, his death, his resurrection, what is the church, the return of Christ. Then we talked about, that really puts us after the return of Christ. We talked about now, some will be judged unto eternal life and some will be judged unto, a, judged unto eternal consequences. So last week we talked about hell. So where we are in the narrative is, God has already returned. Jesus has returned. He is victorious. And we'll talk about those who will be judged according to the gospel, not according to their works, according to God's grace, and who will experience heaven for all eternity. So Jesus, there will be a judgment. And Peter talks about this judgment. But God can destroy something without totally annihilating it. So if you read in Genesis, what did he say? I'm going to destroy the earth. I'm going to wipe out the earth with the flood, right? But what he did, he brought judgment. But he left a remnant of Noah and his family to keep it going. So he wiped out the, the earth with water. But in the language is destroy. But we still had an earth and the earth still went on. In the same way, he says this, and Peter uses the language of the flood to give us an example. But he also says in the same way, and I'm going to read you 2 Peter 3, 6, and 7. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So I want you to see it like this. Jesus brings total judgment when he returns. He destroys it. The language is fire. What that looks like, if the whole place will be burnt, I don't fully know. But I know they're using this apocalyptic uh, language to say he's bringing judgment. But he will still restore all things. That is ultimate plan. So I would tell you like this. So if your house burned down, right? Everything burned down, the frame and the wood. So I'm on the wood theme today. The wood starts to burn down. If if we were truly going to understand the law of thermodynamics, that wood doesn't fully cease to exist. It transforms into either carbon dioxide and charcoal. So it doesn't cease to exist. So it would be like, the earth would be like this. Your house totally burned down. God wiped it out. He judged it. It wasn't a good house. He might do that to my house. He wipes it out. But on the same ground with the same blueprint, with the same design, by the same architect, he rebuilds it perfectly new, so it's far superior, there's no leaky roof, the basement doesn't flood when it rains, you got the perfect bad guy, you don't even have to put the swing set together, it's out there in the backyard. That's what he's going to do with the earth. He's going to judge it, but he's going to restore it and renew it. He's going to keep the work of his own hands and make all things new in that way. Does that make sense? Okay. took me a long time to think through that. And I can only use a contractor analogy on that. I always come back to tradesman analogies because 
I work part-time doing electrical work. Let's jump into verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. So I know many of you came to this heaven message and said, well, is my dog going to be in heaven? You know, can we cheer for the patriots in heaven? I talked to John last night. He said, you're going to talk about the patriots in heaven tomorrow? I said, I knew you were going to say that. It depends if Andrew Luck beats him or not. During house church next month, we're doing it once a month, and what a great first night of house church. It was unbelievable. Thank you for everyone who came. Next month, the first Tuesday, we're going to talk in details about the details of heaven, but that's not the main um, idea today, the main big idea. So you guys can shoot me any emails. We're going to start with that. If you've got a question, animals going to be in heaven. What's going to be like? Can I work out in heaven? Can I play sports in heaven? What, what is that going to look like? You can shoot me some emails, and we'll, we'll dive into that in house church next month. But the reason you're going to be so happy in heaven is because God is there. I watched a movie that was a depressing movie back in 1998 with Robin Williams called What Dreams May Come. Did you guys see this movie? Like, they made it beautiful, as beautiful as they could. And I'm like, wow, there's like waterfalls, and it's beautiful, and all this stuff. But I'm watching this stupid movie, and I'm like, why do I feel so empty? This this movie is making me feel worse. This is making me feel, I don't want to die if it's going to be like that. I want to walk around with Robin Williams just lonely looking at the sky with a briefcase. But then it hit me when I was preparing for the sermon, because Randy Alcorn used the analogy, that it was a heaven without God. See, we think that we can go to a place in this beautiful sky, beautiful water, there's, you know, we're just, you know, parachuting off of stuff, discovering stuff, just enjoying life, running with lions. Who knows? And we think about heaven, and we think it's good because of the things, but we forget it's the best because of God who dwells there and will dwell among us. That's why heaven will be so fantastic. Akira, I was in a, she wouldn't go to sleep. She was getting scared. They got bunk beds now, and she asked Talia to tell a scary story, but she told him about a vampire story. And Kara said, I just wanted a Halloween story, but you talked about vampires. I don't even know what happened in there, to be honest. And so she's scared. She's saying, Dada, come in there. I sleep. So I end up in there, and I'm tired. And we end up talking about Disney World, right? And so to a kid, Disney World is the ultimate, right? I'm 35, and Disney World's still the ultimate to me. And so I'm telling her about everything. I'm telling her about the rides. I'm telling her Peter Pan is my favorite ride. We're going through every little detail. And she keeps saying, Dada, tell me more. And when we do family worship, her prayer is, Lord, help us go to Disney World. And legit. And so I'm talking to her. I'm letting her know. But as we got to the end, and she was so happy about this, this um, that we're going to take this trip sooner or later. And she was so excited about the place. But the reality is, Kara would not enjoy Disney World if her family wasn't there. And Kara would not go to Disney World if I didn't pay the price. It's the same way for us with God. We would not enjoy heaven if our Savior wasn't there. And we wouldn't be going if he didn't pay the price in the gospel. So those are the things we look for. It's the highest aspiration of the gospel. Our ancient theologians used to call it the beatific vision which would be translated the happy-making moment, that moment when you see God face-to-face, when no longer do we have to believe by faith, but you see God face-to-face, and it's the happiest 
moment of your life because that's what it was meant to be. Let me read this quote to you from John Doan. says, I shall rise from the dead and I shall see the Son of God, the Son of glory, and shine myself as the shine suns. I shall be united to the Ancient of Days, to God himself, who had no morning and never began. No man has ever saw God and lived, and yet I shall not live till I see God. And when I have seen him, I shall never die. Make that your aspiration. That's the happiest moment ever. You see God, and you're with him, and he's among you. I don't know why I got the preacher handshake going, but I got caught up there. I had to pull it back down. <laughs> Let's go to verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Here we see the culmination. Here we see the completion of the first gospel in Genesis 3.15. Because, listen, we are justified by faith in God. Our sins are forgiven. But we still struggle through our journey and we're still all sinners working through our sanctification. But there's still sin on the earth. There's still death on the earth. There's still crying. There's still weeping. There's still pain. Those are all consequences of the fall. What is going to happen when God makes all things new and the new heavens and the new earth is the curse is going to be lifted. In Ephesians 1.10 it says all things will be brought together in Christ. That will happen. At that moment. And I don't know if we can fully fathom it. Imagine every struggle you ever had. Lifted. Lifted. We all know we wake up every morning and there's fire in our soul. There's a tension. We gotta pick up our cross. We gotta follow Jesus. We gotta choose to do right. We gotta respond in repentance. We gotta deny ourselves and follow Him. We gotta love others. We gotta forgive. We gotta resist temptation. That's a lot of struggle going on inside. That's absolutely lifted in heaven. Absolutely lifted. No more struggle. How about all the pain we have to see? If I have to see one more Amber Alert, are you kidding me? People really steal kids on this earth? This is really a problem? That's the result of sin. There'll be no more kidnapping in heaven. Are people really blowing people up at the Boston Marathon? Is that really happening? No more terrorism in heaven. The curse is absolutely lifted. There's no more fear. You don't have to wake up and worry about your children. You don't have to wake up and worry about yourself. You don't have to wake up and worry if your loved ones are going to die. Imagine all that lifted. Imagine no more tears. A lot of people are going to be out of a job in heaven. Doctors, you're going to have to learn a new skill set. You work at a funeral home, you might have to be a gardener. And the Kleenex company is going out of business. That's what heaven's going to be like. Because the curse... Is lifted. The curse is broken. And there's only going to be one who we're worshiping because of it. You're not going to look at Luke. You're not going to look at Lisa. You're not going to look at Bill and say, wow, the curse is lifted. You're awesome. You're going to say, Jesus is so awesome. No one here can boast. Let's lift one up. That's new language for the house. Lift one up means lift the praise up. You'll say that in heaven too. That's in Revelation somewhere. Imagine that though. Wow. That's so much to look forward to. And let's turn to verse 5 and 6. And this is our God proclaiming this and sharing this. Kind of like the end but the beginning of the story and the way it's told. 
beginning, middle, end. Like he's beginning over with no sin. The curse is lifted. We're going to enjoy God forever. He said, and he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. Gives me the chills a little bit. God saying it's finished. I've finished it. I'm the beginning. I'm the end. And to all those who've been redeemed by the gospel, you will drink from the throne of grace, from the water and the fountain of God for all eternity. Just really sobers me. My, my favorite part in the passion of the Christ is when Jesus is really, he's got the cross on his back. He, he's torn apart. And I think, I haven't watched it in a while, but I think he falls. I know what he says, but I think Mary is there and she says something. He says something just in some victorious way. He says, behold, he says, I'm making all things new. And you feel the weight of what the cross really accomplished. That he's not only going there to die for our sin. He's not only going there to lift our guilt. He's not only going there to lift our shame. He's not only going there to reconcile us with God. He's not only going there for all those things. He's going there to make everything new. And that, that part always makes me cry a little bit, but I try to cry out of my right eye if my wife is on my left. He made all things new through his work on the cross, and the completion of it will be after Judgment Day when we receive the benefits of the glory of gospel in a new heaven and a new earth, perfectly restored for us to be in perfect relationship with God forever. Now, to some people, that would be absolutely exciting. They walk out of heaven, man, I'm going to heaven to look good. This is awesome. But in our culture, some people are like, man, I don't go to heaven. That's boring. They really think that the exciting people will be in hell. Like, people write songs about it. Dead, dead serious. This is how foolish man is. I'm going with all the fun people down to hell. Yeah. That is stupid. It's immature. It's goofy. Eh. I don't even know where I'm going because I went on a rant. <laughs> now I know. Some people think that heaven is not going to be a place where they want to be. Because time, sometimes isn't a good thing if you have nothing to do. Do you hear people all the time? I'm so bored. I'm just bored. When my daughter says she's bored, I'm saying, you better get that attitude out of your head. We're not going to talk that bored talk around here. You better go do something. Time is not a good thing if you're not enjoying it. A lot of the... um a lot of people say they're bored with life. They got life. They don't know what to do. They have nothing to do. I come home. I'm just going through routine. I feel dead. Time is no good if you're not enjoying it. So the fact that I say it's going to be eternal, that in itself doesn't make you feel good. You have to know that it's going to be enjoying. You're going to enjoy it. It's going to be something that's awesome for you, something you wake up every day loving it. So let's go through a few misconceptions about heaven and talk about what the Bible says, because I think that's really important. Because I really think people watch too much TV, and we get our theology from TV. So I really think that we just think we're going to be on a cloud, just like playing a harp with some sort of tunic in heaven for all eternity. And people are like, I don't even sing. What am I going to do up there? So let's, let's jump in. People think that heaven is going to be a non-earth. That it's just something that's not 
familiar. It's something totally foreign. So that scares people like me. Actually, I'm getting a lot better. Me and Natalie are trying out a lot of new restaurants. But, uh, man, for a while, we had, like, two restaurants, and we didn't want to go to a new place because, like, we like this place. And, like, we were scared of anything new. So you said anything new. I was like, get myself ready, just taking deep breaths. All right, let's do it. We're funny. We go to a new restaurant. We act like it's some big adventure. But some people get scared because, like, it's not going to be familiar. I'm scared of heaven. I don't want to just go there and sit around. It doesn't say it's going to be a non-earth. It says it's going to be a new earth beyond your imagination. It doesn't say it's going to be unfamiliar and otherworldly. It says it's going to be familiar and earthly. It doesn't say it's going to be disembodied. Like some people think you're just flowing around. Just people talking like mist. Different forms of mist just talking to each other. It says we're going to have a resurrected body. Like Jesus had when he resurrected. That has no problems, no pain, and is fully fit. Yes, please, I'm 35. I'm going in the wrong direction. Says it's going to be foreign, God says familiar. It says you're leaving your favorite things behind. Isn't that something we fear about heaven? I don't want to leave my favorite things behind. But the Bible teaches us that we will retain the good and that the best is ahead. We think that heaven's going to be no time and no space. But the Bible says it's going to be time and space. We think that heaven's going to be boring, but the Bible says it's going to be dynamic. We think it's going to be, it's going to be nothing to do, like I said, floating on clouds. But this is what God says heaven will be like. We'll have a God to worship and serve, a universe to rule, purposeful work to accomplish, friends to enjoy. That's important. Some, some people, this is not theologically sound or biblical, think you just go to heaven, you're alone. I know that's some people's heaven. <laughs> but you're going to have friends up there. We're going to see each other. The body of Christ will be there rejoicing in God. It's a community. You're going to enjoy your friends. Some people, you go up there and once you're in heaven, everyone thinks you completely know everything, right? We're just walking around like, ask me my wisdom. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches we'll have eternity to learn and discover. I love learning. I love learning new things. I'm getting into discovering new things. But heavens and the earth to discover, to enjoy. Some people think it's a loss of desire. We go up there and we're all just stoics, right? You say one word every a thousand years, you know what I mean? No. It said it will be the ultimate fulfillment of all your desires. And finally, we think heaven's just the absence of the terrible, but present with little we desire. But the Bible teaches it's the presence of the wonderful in everything we desire and nothing we don't. Wow. So I want you guys to be excited about it. I want to encourage those who are in the gospel to be secure that you're going to heaven and that's what awaits you. And it says no eye has seen, no ear has even heard. Everything I could do up here to share with you what heaven was like, it would still fall short of the thing that God, everything God has waiting for us. But I also want to make sure, because I never know who I'm preaching to, I want to make sure everyone knows how we get to heaven. Because that's key in every message. That there's an evangelistic call. You get to heaven, not by your works. So some people really believe that they can be good enough to obtain the favor of God and to be right with God. They really think that they'll stand before God on, on Judgment Day, open up that Bible, and they'll be like, okay, you gave to that person. You worked hard that day. Wow, you were nice. Go ahead. No. 
No, man, we have all fallen short. We're all sinners. We all need the grace of God. He opens up that book. He looks and says, Jesus did it. You're in. You believed. Jesus did it. All you must do to inherit heaven is repent of your sin and put your faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ and trust in his grace. He will change you and you will never be the same. Amen.